0: For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and we begin this readout video from our latest Wednesday wake-up email newsletter with thoughts for and about Ukraine, where Vladimir Putin's thugs are systematically targeting energy production to try to bring about a lethal Christmas and a deadly new year. Of course, as we sit comfortably by our fire in peaceful surroundings, our sympathy and prayers go out to the people of Ukraine as they try to celebrate under horribly different circumstances. But we also reflect on the reasons why, in this singularly malevolent spasm of destruction, Putin is deliberately destroying Ukraine's energy infrastructure. It is, of course, that reliable, affordable energy is essential to civilization and indeed to survival. And we also note that in the West, though far more slowly, obviously, and under the rule of law, and against a background of far greater resilience, and with no foreign invasion, we are attempting to destroy our own energy infrastructure. Thus, for instance, you get the headline, quote, Germany's largest state declares emergency amid energy crisis, end quote. And, in Reuters' sustainable switch for December 1st, quote, over in Germany, citizens are looking to cut back on non-essentials amid a cost-of-living crisis fueled by rising energy prices, end quote. This is in Germany, the economic powerhouse of Europe, somehow still the world's fourth-largest economy, despite having deliberately sabotaged its own power industry. Now, when you think of basic needs, the phrase food, clothing, and shelter naturally springs to mind. And it was clearly a huge leap forward in human well-being when we tamed fire and could cook our food. But modern agriculture is energy-intensive in ways that even chasing a mammoth wasn't including the production and application of fertilizer that many governments, including that of Canada, have somehow concluded is a mortal threat to our survival, not a key element of it. Likewise, shelter is a pretty bleak affair, unless, especially in a cold climate, it can be heated. Though don't overlook the number of excess deaths that cold causes even in places like India. Now, since thinking is hard work, especially it appears for those in politics, it turns out that in this story, North Rhine-Westphalia, which is Germany's largest state economically and demographically, is taking the emergency measure of lifting the debt ceiling so they can borrow even more money to subsidize people's energy bills. It is not, repeat not, to develop more sources of energy. Now, At CDN, we hope that most of our readers and viewers live in places where ill-considered climate policy based on bad science has not yet become a grave threat to health and even survival, and certainly a place that is enjoying the blessings of peace. But if you are one of the fortunate ones, please spare a thought and a donation for those in need in your own community, your own country, in other Western nations, and in Ukraine. But please also spare a thought for how foolish it would be to shut down our own power plants because of a phantom threat from plant food. And speaking of phantoms, in another rebuke to climate alarmist fairy tales, Northern Hemisphere snow cover and snow mass just hit a record high for the last half century. Some people rushed to call this announcement cherry-picking the facts on the grounds that there had been a trend toward less snow, and if that trend is now reversed, we should ignore it but we say data matters when you're testing scientific theories. In this case particularly, whether trends in weather in the last 150 years are cyclical, unless natural, or linear, unless at least plausibly man-made. We also say it matters that when alarmist predictions fail, you too often get callousness rather than contrition or compassion or even comprehension. After noting that, quote, Met Office warns of below freezing temperatures, end quote, Britain's BBC notes without missing a beat that, quote, people are being urged to use their heating despite rising energy prices, end quote. Those are rising prices that the BBC cheered for relentlessly. And how are you meant to use your heating when you can't afford it? Also, look for alarmists to double down rather than backtracking. Canada's former Environment Minister Catherine McKenna, who's gone on to her reward as the unelected, quote, chair, high-level expert group on the net-zero emissions commitments of non-state entities, end quote, produced a report at COP27 that ignored that conference's failings and an early harsh winter in many places starting to clobber the poor, elderly, and marginalized. And by the way, we should note that this expert group does not seem to be experts except in gaming the system. McKenna is a lawyer with a climate consulting business, the Colombian runs a coffeehouse chain but used to be in the beauty business, the Chinese communist was a banker, and so on. The only actual PhD among that group is in international relations. But we digress. Or maybe not, because the report insists that, quote, we know what we need to do peak global emissions in just three years by 2025, and cut emissions in half in less than eight years by 2030, end quote. But the report does not claim that we know how to do any such thing because, obviously, we don't, especially with China cranking out coal plants as fast as it does cut-rate consumer electronics. Still, it is one of the odd fatuities of politicians and their hangers-on that the more emissions targets they miss, the more serene confidence they exude that they will absolutely positively hit the next, more ambitious one. And indeed, in this case, the report contains four references to absolute rather than net reductions. It seems net zero is no longer enough for the zealots. Now they want gross zero or absolute zero or some other cessation of all productive activity, including, as we noted above, the growing of food and the heating of homes. On the other hand, Canada's scofflaw environment minister Stephen Gilbo, who the New York Times correctly says was once nicknamed Green Jesus, and, quote, was arrested four times for climate protests in the 1990s and early 2000s while working for Greenpeace, end quote, suddenly repents some of his tactics for disrupting authority now that he's in authority. And, just as his boss tells an inquiry into his own ham-fisted overreaction to a different protest that, quote, Using protests to demand changes to public policy is something that I think is worrisome, end quote. Well, what the heck did he think protests were for? But Gilbo does not qualify as older and wiser for this reversal. Rather, he's our climate hypocrite of the week for expecting others to obey laws that he crafts while he and his colleagues are under no such obligation from conflict of interest rules to the conditions under which a draconian emergencies act can be invoked. And, on the subject of people hoist on their own petard, journalists offering fawning coverage of activists vandalizing masterpieces for planet Earth may not have been such a bright idea after all. Kara Buckley, who reports on climate science because she has a master's of international affairs, journalism, human rights, a typical modern discipline, noted on Climate Forward at the New York Times that, quote, On Friday, Just Stop Oil posted its own poll asking respondents what should be the focus of the group's next protests. Targeting great artwork was among the options getting the fewest votes, end quote. Okay. But what was at the top? Amazingly, it was media offices ahead even of fossil fuel headquarters, with banks trailing in third place. Once again, these left-wing birds of prey are not gregarious or grateful. But even so, the press remains all in on the cause. Consider this opening line from Zoe Williams in The Guardian about people wrecking priceless art in their own narcissistic climate-like protests. Quote, Expert opinion is settled, and the public opinion united on the urgency of climate action. If our politics or our discourse were in any way functional, there would be no confusion, no debate, end quote. So, there you have it. A free press calling for no debate. And showing that if there were one, they'd be ill-suited to take part in it, because if public opinion is united, what's the point of these childish and destructive protests? Don't ask a modern journalist. Recovering leftist Michael Schellenberger tweeted recently that, quote, climate fanatics are now attacking attacking art unprotected by plexiglass. This is what happens when governments refuse to prosecute criminal conspiracies. The elites who demanded the freezing of Canadian trucker bank accounts today decry basic law enforcement, end quote. And he particularly pinned the New York Times by quoting its position on the two. New York Times, February 2022 on Canadian truckers, quote, why has it been so difficult to clear the protesters, end quote. New York Times, November 2022 on climate protesters, quote, new rules curtailing protests have alarmed some who fear an erosion of civil rights, end quote. But what can Stephen Gilboa say about climate protesters breaking laws except point them to the nearest newspaper office? In the newsletter, we also note that Judith Curry may have fallen for a prank tweet in which another climate scientist, Andrew Dessler of Texas A&M, wrote, quote, "I need some advice. I changed the entrainment parameter in my cumulus parameterization, and the climate sensitivity of my model doubled. Help!" End quote. And Curry responded, quote, "I rest my case on climate model-derived values of climate sensitivity to CO2." End quote. But it seems that Dessler was actually making fun of the new Washington Post climate agony column Climate Coach, which appears to deserve it, including for its enthusiasm for you eating bugs. But Curry can be forgiven for thinking he was serious, because there is something very wrong with the way the models mimic clouds or fail to, and she's been on it for years. And a movement is in trouble when you can't tell satire from the real thing. Thus, in another tweet, Curry shared David Young's very real critique of the way the models attempt to deal with computational fluid dynamics, which she notes, quote, provides important analysis on misconceptions about global climate models that lead to overconfidence in simulations, end quote. And that overconfidence is no joke. Nor is the kind of overconfidence that leads to misconceptions like the one where everybody knows that polar bears are dying due to climate change. Supposedly, it's because the sea ice is melting out from underneath them. And we've all seen the heart-wrenching video from National Geographic of an emaciated bear starving due to climate-induced loss of sea ice. Although later investigation, prompted by a public outcry, revealed that the video was phony. And worse than phony. The videographers knew that the bear was likely dying from a painful disease that had nothing to do with climate but they failed to call in conservation officers to euthanize it while they waited days for the camera crew so they could get that money shot. Unfortunately, counterfeit money. Nor do polar bears really fall from the sky whenever someone takes a flight, which is good because if they did, all those jets going to COP27 wouldn't just have finished them off, it would have made a disgusting mess. Still, everybody knows it's just a matter of time before the poor fluffy polar bears get it because melting sea ice means they can't hunt for food. Why, just look at the evidence, it shows, it shows, dang, it shows no connection at all between sea ice coverage and polar bear survival rates or health in the Gulf of Boothia near Baffin Island, which is where the largest polar bear subpopulation in the Arctic lives. From 1976 to 2017, ice coverage there has retreated dramatically, but the population hasn't, though there was a recent dip due to the local Nunavut government authorizing an increase in hunting. The authors of the study looked at various possible factors, including, of course, the proverbial loss of local sea ice, and found that its only effect on survival probability, litter size, or general health is that there was a slight improvement in overall body condition with less sea ice, perhaps because less ice makes it easier for them to hunt seals. So, bad news for the seals, but not for the bears, despite what everybody knows. Ah, and speaking of tired clichés, in a recent talk at something called the Scenarios Forum, Professor Roger Pilkey Jr. presented an updated analysis that he and co-authors have done evaluating not just the exploded RCP 8.5 scenario, but all 1,311 emissions projections developed by the IPCC. Yep, the science is so settled they've got it down to just 1,311 possible outcomes, most of which, it turns out, overestimate past warming if given past data. And the ones that don't assume that temperature is not very sensitive to CO2. So put that in your planet and don't smoke it. We also dip into the CO2Science.org archive to see how well regional rather than global climate models do with respect to, in this case, snow coverage in the Upper Colorado River Basin. Regular readers and viewers will guess the result. They don't do well, and their errors are not random. They assume that the end of winter is coming and that children won't know what snow is, and it's wrong. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I'm thinking of a yellow and blue Christmas.